The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I'm Pastor Chris. Good to have you with us today. Uh, we are wrapping up this series um, uh, at the movies. We are in the week. We are in week six. This is the final message of uh, this series at the movies. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, this series as much as I have. Um, we've had a lot of fun. We've uh, uh, seen a lot of movies or clips of a lot of movies. Uh, but here's what I really hope today. Um, I actually hope that we are uh, training you to look for conversation starters. I hope that we are training you to, uh, to look for hooks, to look for opportunities, uh, to point people to Jesus, to share your story, to share your faith, and uh, to invite people to Coastal Community Church. Now, it, it must be working uh, because we have given away more movie tickets uh, during this year's series than ever before. Uh, we've actually given away over 300 movie tickets uh, to first-time guests uh, and their friends, uh, the friends who in invited them. Uh, so if you're here today and uh, you are a guest, a first-time guest, uh, we're glad that you're here. You're a gift uh, from God to us today, and uh, we actually have a movie ticket for you. So you can make your way uh, to the bright uh, blue welcome and guest tent immediately after the service, and we have a ticket for you. Uh, plus, uh, we've actually, uh, we actually took another... 250 people uh, to go see a movie this summer, uh, Incredibles 2, more than twice than what we've taken uh, in, in previous years. So uh, my, my challenge or my encouragement uh, to our church this morning is uh, to keep it up. Keep inviting your friends. Keep in, inviting and bringing people to Coastal. Now, let's get started. I doubt that very many of you today uh, have actually seen uh, this movie that we're using this weekend, uh, The Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, because it just came out. Uh, just came out this past weekend, and, and the truth is, even though, yes, it is in the Marvel Comics empire of, of superhero movies, uh, it is definitely a different type of superhero movie. You know, a lot different than Avengers, uh, Infinity War, and all the other big smash em up blow em up uh, movies. Um, and after all, I mean, He's called Ant-Man, okay, Ant-Man, and he's played perfectly by the self-effacing Paul Rudd. In fact, one reviewer said this, it's the superhero movie for the average little guy, the Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, if there was ever a hero, if there was ever somebody in the Bible who actually felt unsure about who he was and you know, who doubted his abilities, probably felt like a nobody, it was the guy that I want us to look at today. Um, his name is Gideon, Gideon. Now, for those of you who grew up in church, you probably know something about him. You've heard a little bit about him. Uh, for those of you who have not grown up in church, you probably know nothing about him. Now, he definitely doesn't get the attention that the other people in the Old Testament got. He really is kind of the Ant-Man of the Old Testament. Now, his name does pop up once in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we know Hebrews chapter 11 kind of is the uh, God's hall of faith, and uh, it's, th it's this great list of God's spiritual superheroes. And if you read the chapter, you'll, you'll discover people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and Joseph. And then, kind of out of nowhere, verse 32 says this, and what, shall I, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about who? Gideon, 
Barak, Samson, Japheth, uh, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So here we are right here. Gideon is listed right alongside uh, all of these great superheroes of the faith. Now, God did not use any of those people. You read the chapter. He didn't use any of them, including Gideon, because they were perfect, uh, because they didn't have fault. In fact, what's interesting, verse 34 of this chapter reminds us that their weakness was turned to strength. Their weakness was turned to strength. Each one of them are shining examples of what this series has been all about this summer, and that is that God loves to use ordinary people, ordinary people like Gideon, to accomplish extraordinary things. And that really is what this series has been about this year as we've talked about superheroes. That God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. That he does exactly that. That he, that he turns our weaknesses into strength. That means, guess what? He wants to use people like you and me. Now the story of Gideon is found in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, chapters six through eight. And before we get into the specifics of that passage and the story, I wanna give you a little bit of context here of what's happening. Now, when you come to Judges chapter six, you find the nation of Israel in very typical fashion, they basically have turned their backs on God. Now, if you know something about the children of Israel, this would happen over and over and over again, especially after a period in which things were going pretty well for them. You know, the bills were paid, the kids are obeying, the camels aren't in the shop, everything's going good, and then, Pretty soon, the Israelites would feel like, guess what? We don't need God. And so they'd become pretty self-sufficient you know, in their minds, and they just kind of push God out, have nothing to do with God. Now, before we are a little too quick to judge them too harshly, let's at least be willing to admit something. We all do the same thing. We do. You know, when, uh, you know, when, when things are going well, we act like we don't need God. You know, people never change when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. They change when they, when they hit rock bottom, when they, when they come to their senses. You know, when things are going well, when things are going great, we act like we don't need God, and then, just like the Israelites, we just gotta push them out of our life. We do that. You know, we, we fall away from church. We stop fellowshipping with other believers in, in small groups, in life groups. Maybe we stop serving. You know, we stop giving. We, we no longer do our, our daily devotions. And then again, just like the Israelites, we then open ourselves up to a terrible fall. And for the Israelites, without fail, what would happen is an enemy would come in and take them over. In fact, verse 1 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites, you need to know, they were extremely powerful, and they oppressed the Israelites mercilessly. And uh, things were so bad, though, for the Israelites that they left their homes and when, when the Midianites would come, and they'd go live in the caves, fearing for their lives. And the Midianites would, would invade Israel every year right around harvest time. In fact, verse 5 mentions that they would come in like locusts and just completely ravage the land. And then what they couldn't take with them, they destroyed. Now finally, 
After seven long years of all of this, the Israelites have enough and they cry out to God for help. Now, when you read the story, honestly, one of the first things you start thinking is, why in the world? I mean, it's beyond me. Why in the world it would take so long for these guys to turn back to God? I mean, it's as though they basically just wait as long as they can take it. They can't take it any longer. And then they cry out to God. Again, the truth is we do the same thing. You know, we do. God's trying to get our attention. And uh, we hold out. Man, I can make it. You know, I, I, I can do this. I can, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can make this on my own. Listen, God uses tough times to get your attention. He uses tough times to get your attention. Have you ever stopped to consider that? Now, the reality is I don't know everybody's story in this room. I know some, and I know some of you are going through some tough stuff right now. In fact, maybe, just maybe, that's what got you here originally. That's why you came to Coastal, man. You're going through some stuff. Now, I am not saying today, and hear this loud and clear, I'm not saying today that God has caused the tough times that you are in. But what I am saying is this, maybe, just maybe, God's wanting to use the tough things that you're going through right now in order to get your attention, in order to bring you home, in order to draw you back to himself. So let me ask you, what's it gonna take for you? What's it gonna take for you to finally cry out to God? I mean, you're gonna be like the Israelites and endure seven long years of living and hiding, allowing the enemy to kill, kill, steal, and destroy the life that God intended for you to live? What's it gonna take? I love verse seven. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. So again, they finally cry out and God responds. I mean, again, you read the story and it's as though God is waiting. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on them to cry out to him. And when we do, he will be faithful and he will respond. He sends an unknown prophet to remind them uh, of their history and their heritage and to remind them that he expects total surrender. He expects full commitment, full devotion. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live. In other words, what he's saying to them, listen to me. I expect you know, uh, nothing less than, than full devotion. Anything you know, less is rebellion, and it's gonna bring consequences, the consequences that you've been enduring. You see, when tough time comes, when tough times come, instead of looking at them as if, you know what, God is punishing me, Try to see them as gifts of God's grace. In other words, he loves you too much to keep letting you live the way you're living. You know, he treasures you. He wants to be the center of your life. He sees you going down this path of destruction, and what he's doing through these difficult times is he's trying to get your attention. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Is God shouting to you today? In his love and his mercy, just trying to get your attention. I love this next scene. Gideon is uh, threshing some wheat in a wine press. And he's trying to keep it uh, from the Midianites. In fact, the Hebrew word used here expresses, expresses this idea of being in hiding. Now, you need to know that a wine press was made out of stone and built underground, but normally they would carve out two cisterns, 
one slightly uh, below the other, and the upper area was used to tread out the grapes, and then the, the liquid would drain into the lower vat. Well, what's interesting here is that Gideon is down in this lower area threshing out the wheat. Now, when someone would thresh out the wheat, what they would normally do is they'd do it out in the open so that the wind could come and blow away the chaff. But here's Gideon. Basically, what you, what you realize is he's afraid. You know, so he's down here in this area where nobody could see him. He's basically in hiding. He is defeated. He is discouraged. And then, out of nowhere, almost like it really doesn't fit the scenario here, verse 12 tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, listen to this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What? I mean, seriously, you're going, are you serious? mighty warrior. I mean, you really picture Gideon, you know, kind of going, kind of turning around going, who, me? You know, looking around for where the mighty warrior is found because he ain't talking about him. But here's the truth, and here's the principle that I want you to hear loud and clear today. God always sees more than you do. He always sees more than you do. When God looked at Gideon, he saw a strong soldier. He saw who he could become. In one sense, it's as though God was speaking prophetically because he knew what, God, what Gideon was about to do. He knew what he was gonna do through, uh, through Gideon, what he was about to accomplish. But then on the other hand, you know what God is doing here and what he's doing for it with us today? He is speaking a positional truth. You see, right now, at this very moment, because the Lord is with him, he is a mighty warrior. He is one. Now, many of you today, you don't fully understand who you are. You don't. Some of you have got this image of yourself that is not only unhealthy, it's unbiblical. And what you've got to do, what has got to happen in your life is you've got to reframe your identity by allowing the truth of God's word to change who you are. Let me give you just a few of uh, what God says about you right now from his word. If you are a born again believer, here's what the Bible says about you. This is your position. This is who you are in Christ. You are God's child, John 1, 12. You are God's friend, John 15, 15. 15. You have been chosen to bear fruit. John 15, 16. You have been justified. You are free forever from condemnation. Romans 8, 1. You will never be separated from the love of God. Romans 8, 35. You belong to God. You are his. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. You're a saint. You are a saint. Ephesians 1, 1. You have been a adopted as God's child into his forever family. Ephesians 1.5, the Bible says that you are God's workmanship. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're a piece of work. You're a piece of work. You are. That's what the Bible says about you. Ephesians 2.10, you are a citizen, a citizen of heaven. This is not your world. You have a citizenship somewhere else. Philippians 3.20, you have been redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 1.14, you are complete. You are complete as you are right now in Jesus Christ, Colossians 2.10. Don't you see, listen to this, you are a mighty warrior. That's what God says about you. Listen, God knows who you are, even if you don't. Now, one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves is, well, you know, God only uses special people. 
He only uses extraordinary people. He only uses, you know, gifted people. Listen, God does use special people because he uses you. You, you are special because you belong to him. That's what God says about you. That's the truth of his word. Now, after being called a mighty warrior, Gideon questions God out loud, wondering, well, okay, but why all these bad things have happened to the people? In fact, verse 14 says that God looked at Gideon and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In other words, Gideon, you are the answer. I've heard your cry. I am responding. Gideon responds by saying, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. My, you know, I am the least in my family. In other words, I mean, you know what he's saying? He's saying, well, how can I do it, God? You see, I'm the weakest. You know, I, I am the least. Here's another principle from the story I want you to catch today. Stop using your family and your past as an excuse. Stop using your family and your past as an excuse. You know, that's exactly what what Gideon is doing here. God, you don't understand. You know, I'm not your guy here. You know, you've obviously tapped the wrong one because I'm not a leader. You know, my, my family, my family tree is nothing. We're just a, you know, a weed. You know, I'm a runt. In fact, I'm the least of my family. Go back to Hebrews 11. You know, almost to a person, each one of the men and women listed in Hebrews 11 that we now know as, you know, well, these are spiritual superheroes. Listen, to a person, they all had messed up, jacked up families. I mean, they had a past that they could very easily all be ashamed of. Noah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. I mean, these people were a therapist's dream. They were. You know what? We all have messed up families. You know why we all have messed up families? Because we are all messed up. We are. In fact, raise your hand today if your family is basically just a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, come on. Raise your hand. Listen, you know what? You ready for this? Well, then welcome to greatness in God's family. That's true. We're all messed up. Listen, God then speaks five Five of the most powerful words you will find in the Bible. Verse 16, I will be with you. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Wow. Well, let me tell you something. Gideon, man, he is a piece of work. He is. He he still doubts God. And and then he, he, he asks God for the first here of several signs just to be sure. You know, he, uh, he wants the Lord to, to wait for a few minutes. You can read the story on your own. And he runs off and he bakes some bread and he gets a goat and he throws it on the grill and uh, the meat is placed on a rock for the angel and then it's vaporized by fire. And basically Gideon realized, okay, this is real, this is God. And uh, so then he builds an altar to the Lord. Now, before Gideon can be used by God though, He's got to take care of some stuff in his own personal life, in his own family, in his own house. And uh, he's got some stuff to clean up in in, in his life, in the life of his family. In fact, the Lord basically tells him to go back home and to tear down an altar in his father's family that they had built to Baal, a false god. 
and then to build a proper altar to, to God and to make a sacrifice to God. You see, God's people had allowed, again, during this time of disobedience, they had allowed their worship to become polluted with false gods, and Gideon had to confront the disobedience in his own family, in his own life. So here's another principle I want you to catch today. If you want to be used by God publicly, then you got to clean up your life privately. If you want to be used by God publicly, you got to clean up your life privately. You see, before God could use Gideon in a mighty way, he needed to be magnified in his own family. Listen, nobody really knows what goes on in your home except for the people in your home. Let me tell you something. You can fool everybody all the time, but you can never fool God. So let me ask you, does your public life, you know, what we see here on Sunday mornings, what the people at your workplace see, you know, does your public life match your private life? Is there anything, man, you gotta, you gotta clean up? Is there some sin that you're, you've just been clinging to? Listen, let it go. Confess it. Repent of it. Knock down those, those altars to those false things you've been depending on in your life that you find and, and turn to God. If you want to be used by God in a mighty way publicly, you've got to take care of your life privately. Now, at this point in the story, the Midianites are now getting ready to make their annual raid. And Gideon has, uh, has cleaned up his private life. And uh, man, God is empowering him in a mighty way. In fact, he sends Gideon out to send out a, a call to arms. And man, Gideon is blown away when, when people start responding, so much so that 32,000 men show up. Now at this point, you'd be thinking, wow, this mighty warrior, he is ready for battle. I mean, he's had this personal encounter with God. The Holy Spirit is empowering him. The people are rallying to him but he still doubted. He did. I mean, he sounds just like us. I mean, God told him he, what to do, told him that he'd be with him, and here's Gideon, and he still wants to hedge his bets a little bit and make sure. Look at verse 36. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, now, it's amazing, first of all here, just how loving, tender, and patient God is with us. I mean, he is. You know, Gideon is here making a deal with God. God has promised to save Israel through Gideon, and yet he still doesn't trust him. He wants to set up another test. Now, what's about to happen, this next test, is what Gideon is probably most famous for. Okay, the story goes like this. First, he places a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Okay, and he says, okay, God, if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Now, again, it's interesting. Even here, he's admitting once again that God, God said that he would do this. So when he gets up in the next, the next morning, that's exactly what happened. The fleece on the floor, it's full of moisture, 
and the ground around it is dry. Now again, you think, whoo, now he's ready. Apparently this isn't good enough for Gideon. I mean, basically thinking, you know, okay, well, wool tends to absorb water, so really, this is not that big of a deal for God. So in verse 39, he says this, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Now again, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, this is going to be the miracle. Because if the ground was wet and the fleece was on the ground, then the wool would be wet as well. So the next morning, the ground is soaked, but the fleece is dry. Now, again, basically, after all of this, you know what I mean? Really what he's doing, he's running a background check on God, okay? So now, now, finally, Gideon is ready to rumble. But God has other plans. By the way, and you hear this all the time in Christian circles, we're just going to, you know, before I do this, we're just going to throw out a prayer fleece before God. You know, just to see if God's really in this. Listen, you know what? Be very careful. Be very careful using this story. I'm going to throw out a prayer fleece. You know what? It might be, it might just be what you're doing is you're justifying your lack of faith by testing God. That's what Gideon was doing here. God says this, Gideon, you want to test me? Now it's my turn. Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Whoa, 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 hold up a second. You have too many men for me, said no general of no army in the history of the world. I mean, can you imagine that? You have too many men. You know, Gideon must have been thinking, God, are you crazy? I mean, is that what you just said? I mean, he already knew that they were outnumbered, but you know, he's thinking, hey, you know, I've seen these miracles. My men are pumped. But then God does some more sifting. And then he says this. He tells anyone who is trembling with fear to go home. I don't know that that's what you tell an army of men who've been, you know, ravaged for the last seven years. Hey, if you're scared, go on home. Are you ready for this? 22,000 men tucked their tails and ran home. Now only about 10,000 remain. So Gideon is now getting ready to go into, into battle. And then God says in verse 4 that there's still too many men. And he tells Gideon to take them down to the water and let them drink. And Gideon's job was to watch them, to watch how the men in the army, in, in, his, in his, the troops, how they drank from the river, and then he wants to divide them into two groups. Now listen to this. Here's what, here's what happens. 300 of the men made cups out of their hands, reached down and filled them with water and brought it to their face and then drank the water that way. 9,700 men kneeled down on the shore, stuck their faces in the water, and lapped up the, the water that way. Now, some people have speculated that those people who made cups with their hands, well, you see, they were more prepared for battle. 
Why? Well, because they could still, you know, they could still look around, they could still maybe grab, grab their weapon or something like that. But then those who put their face down in the water, well, they were more vulnerable. Honestly, I think that's way over-spiritualizing this. I mean, I really do. We, the truth is, we really don't know why God told Gideon to do this. If you hear somebody saying this is why, they're, they're just, that's just their opinion. I honestly think this is just God's way of messing with Gideon for his lack of faith. I think this is God's way of going, you want to put out a fleece? I'll show you a fleece, you know. So after this final sifting, God tells Gideon that he will save Israel with 300 men who know how to drink politely, okay? Now, you ready for this? Now, we know from chapter 8 that the enemy had an army, you ready for this? Of 135,000 human fighting machines. I mean, Gideon's not stupid. He probably did some math in the sand and, and quickly realized, you know what? That is, for every one Israelite, there were 450 Midianites. I mean, you talk about being outnumbered. But our God loves to show himself strong when we're weak, when we feel vulnerable. He delights in the difficult. He specializes in the impossible. Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Have you ever noticed how much God can do with just a few resources and just a few people who are fully committed to him? Turn the world upside down. When our numbers are reduced, when our resources are depleted, when our backs are against the wall, that's when God always does his best work. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, in fact, says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So after whittling down the troops, God recognizes, okay, Gideon might be a little nervous. So in his grace, he encourages Gideon to get up in the middle of the night and go down to where the Midianites are camped out. So that at just the right time, at the right place, he can hear one of the Midianites tell another fellow soldier about a dream that he had where all the Midianites were defeated at the hands of the Israelites. And it's as though Gideon knew. God was comforting him. And, and verse 15 tells us that, that he worshiped God. And I love that about God. I love how he goes out of his way, you know, just when we need it, to give us that little bit of assurance, to give us that little bit of encouragement, just when it's, when it's needed. God's so gracious and patient with us. You know, it might seem like nothing to other people, but maybe at just the right time, he provided a, a rainbow when you needed to see one. Maybe it was just a song on the radio. Maybe it was a phone call from a friend an unexpected invitation in the mail, a card, a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a Bible verse that just came to mind at just the right time. Maybe it was an invitation to come here just when you needed it. Well, 
after Gideon receives the assurance that he needs, it's time to get down to business. And he divides the 300 men into three groups. And listen to this. He gives each of them trumpets and clay pots with torches inside them. Now, did you hear that? Trumpets, torches, and clay pots. Okay, not exactly common battle gear. And he gives them this battle plan. He tells them to follow his lead, and in the middle of the night, they sneak up and they surround the camp, and then they blow their trumpets, and then they, they crush the jars, they break the jars so that the lights would shine. I mean, it really sounds like a prank at band camp, right? I mean, hey, uh, remember that night at band camp when we uh, you know, blew those trumpets and surrounded the camp? No, now, now normally, normally what would happen here is only a few soldiers would carry trumpets for signaling, just a few because their hands were needed, obviously, for weapons and shields. And likewise, you know, only a, few, only a small number of people would be assigned to carry torches, you know, to light up the battlefield if they were fighting at night. So when the Midians hear this blast, this trumpet blast, 300 trumpets, and then they, they see all these torches, they just assume that this is a huge, massive army that is going to be rushing, charging into the camp. And so what happens is they get spooked and they start running around like crazy in the night, start killing each other. And so Gideon and his army of 300 pot-smashing trumpeteers, they are victorious. They are, they're victorious. Now, after defeating the mighty Midianites, I mean, Gideon is basking in the glory of his victory parade, and he's high-fiving everybody. In verse 2, the Israelites say to him, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. I mean, they're basically going, man, you to man, Gideon, you go, Gideon. You know, you did this, you, you, you. But Gideon knew that it was all about God. And it wasn't about him. And so he directs their focus back to God. Verse 23, but Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, the Lord. The Lord will rule over you. In fact, Judges 8, 28 says this. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed Peace for 40 years. The message for us today is this. Gideon was just an ordinary guy who did extraordinary things because he was obedient to God and he stepped out in faith. What about you, mighty warrior? What about you? You know, has God been trying to get your attention? Have you been hiding out in fear on the threshing floor of life? You know, what excuses have you been making? What hoops have you been making God go through when he's been speaking to you? He has been drawing you to himself. I mean, what are the excuses that you've been making for you know, for not standing up and leading your family, for not taking initiative and, and loving your wife or loving your husband? What excuses have you been making for, for not serving in ministry? 
You know, a week from tomorrow night, we've got vacation Bible school here. And maybe, just maybe, God has been calling you, drawing you to himself. What excuses are you making for not serving, for not volunteering and serving here in ministry? You know, you've been coming here for a while. Let me ask you, what excuses have you been making for not being faithful and consistent and generous with your resources in your giving? You know, and, and have you forgotten that everything that you have is God's? And he, he's calling you to leverage everything you have, your money, your time, your resources, for the kingdom of God. What excuses are you making for not doing that? Here's the most important one. What excuse have you been making for not giving your life to Jesus Christ? Listen, that's why we're here. That is why God has brought you to this place. You're not here by accident. You're not here by mistake. Listen, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, and he has been drawing you to himself. And when are you going to respond to that call? Listen, God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. When are you going to admit the obvious, that it was your sin that put his son Jesus on that cross? Listen, that, that was not by mistake. He knew you could never be good enough. You could never earn your way. It's not about religion. It's not about do's and don'ts. In and of yourself, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. And God knew that. And in his great, great love, he sent Jesus to die in your place. What excuse are you making for not responding? Listen, here's the response. At some point in your life, you've got to admit the obvious that you have blown it that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he is God's son, that his, his word is correct, he is who he says he is. He died for you in, in your place. And you put your faith and your trust in him and him alone. Not in yourself, not in anything else, but in Jesus. Are you ready to do that? You can do that today. Some of you here in this room, maybe you've made that decision. Let me ask you, what excuse are you making for not being obedient in baptism? I mean, baptism is that outward act of obedience. It's that outward act of faith where we say, you know what, I'm not ashamed. I'm going public with my faith. I believe in Jesus. I've put my faith and trust in him. Uh, coming up in uh, August the 5th, uh, toward the end of the summer, we're having our, our next beach baptism. What are you waiting on? I mean, if Jesus did it and he commands us to do it, that really settles it, right? What about you? Listen, God is in love with you and he is ready, just like Gideon, to empower you and give you everything that you need. And he is so patient and so gracious. Are you ready to respond? You can do that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the story of faithful men and women in the Bible who, um, very ordinary people, very messed up lives, and yet, God, they, 
they turned to you in faithful obedience, and you did extraordinary things through them. And Father, I believe today that you are calling out to the people in this room. You're calling out to the people who are watching this online. And listen, if you're here today and you are ready to come home, you are ready to take that next step of faith and to give your life to Christ, you can do it right here and right now. It is as beautiful and yet as simple as a prayer. Just pour out your heart to God. Pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to come home. Father, I, I admit it. I am a sinner. I have blown it. I have walked away from you. I have pushed you out of my life. But today, Father, I turn my back on all of that. I turn away from my sin, and I turn in faith toward your son, Jesus. And God, I declare that I believe. I do, as much as I know how, as much as I understand, here in this moment, God, I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to a cross for me and for my sin. In fact, Father, it was my sin that put him on that cross. But Father, he proved who he is. He proved his power over sin and death by rising from the dead and coming back to life. And I believe it, God. And I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And now, Father, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. In fact, God, I want to become more and more what you declare me to be today. Forgiven, brand new, clean, whole, complete. I, I just want to become more and more now like you see me. I want to worship you, God. Thank you by following Jesus. And Father, for those of us who are here today who have already made that decision of faith, God, help us to listen to your voice, to listen to your call, to stop making excuses, to step out in faith, and to be obedient. Even when you strip away all the things that we keep clinging to, may we just cling to you and be faithfully obedient. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.